Hey, everyone. Welcome into another edition of the Woj Pod. My guest today, Brian Winhurst, ESPN senior writer and host of the new Hoop Collective podcast on the ESPN app. Go sign up, subscribe. Brian and really a lot of the top basketball analysts, minds, journalists twice a week throughout the season on Brian's new podcast. But on mine today on the Woj Pod, we get into a ton the Jimmy Butler trade talks with Houston. We talk about Toronto, the Celtics, the Lakers, and a whole lot more. So here's my visit with Brian Winters. Welcome into Brian Winterst. Brian, how are you? I'm feeling pretty good, Woj. I'm um, finally deciding that I, I'm into the season because back when I was a kid, the season didn't start till the last week of October. <laughs> and... And uh, so now I'm finally getting to the point where I'm used to there being NBA games every night. You know, I actually thought last year there was like a sluggish start. And, and I really thought it was still players getting used to their bodies were still telling them this was the preseason. And I think now guys are used to the season starting earlier. You've seen some higher level play. And I just remember early on, it just felt like guys, their body clocks are telling them my body clock doesn't tell me to be playing yet. And remember some players telling me that too, and some coaches even thought that. But I think now you've seen, you know, while some teams are figuring it out, you've also seen some pretty high-level games. I thought that doubleheader the other night with Golden State and Toronto. Yeah, you're right. There's, um, there, you know, I'm going to tell you something. So just looking a little bit ahead to next year. So next year, after a four-year hiatus, will be a five-year hiatus by then. The World Cup is is coming back. They they knocked the World Cup back a year. It used to be called the World Championship. Mm-hmm. They want to make a bigger deal out of it. So they changed the you've name. written a lot of yeah, you've written a lot about Jeff Van Gundy's uh you know, sort of low man low man on the totem pole, um survive, you know, fight for, for survival <laughs> out in the the South American <laughs> wilderness trying to get this his team of misfits qualified. It's actually been an interesting story because there's this big long qualification. But what I'm what I'm getting at is that the World Cup does not end until September 15th, um, and so you've got Greg Popovich as the head coach and Steve Kerr as the lead assistant. So you've got two head coaches. They're going to be coaching in the world. You know, back when the World Championships happened and when it unfolded in August. So next year we're going to have 12 of our best players, and because it's in China, I'm expecting it to be a full complement of the best players because they all have their shoe business. Mm-hmm. That's right. Everyone's, they're all going to have to go. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. So they're going to go and um, it's going to go till September 15th. So I wonder what's going to happen next year in the preseason. And some of these players are going to have to turn around and go back to China because um, Tim McMahon reported that the, um, that the NBA wants to expand the number of teams they send to Asia from two to six, and they want to go to Tokyo and the Philippines, and they want to go to India, which I assume is going to be um, the Kings and even Dubai next mm-hmm. year. And so what's just getting interesting to me is that the schedule of the international demands is extending in one direction, and the schedule of the NBA season is elongating in the other, and we're squeezing it in the middle. And, and you know, the following year you have the Olympics, in Tokyo. So these next couple of off seasons that I know people are saying, why are you talking about 2019-20 off seasons in this podcast? But since you brought it up, I'll just say that it's going to be interesting to see how this schedule runs up against the players' off season commitments. 
No, and you know, and we're going to get to this Houston, Minnesota story um, and their trade talks. But you mentioned the Olympic team, and what I think is going to be really interesting now is who the next head coach is going to be. You know, Steve Kerr. You know, it made sense, especially having so many potential warriors on the Olympic team. You know, somebody who's you know coached them has relationships with them, and obviously, you know, you have a chance where a three-time defending champion coach could be on your staff and it, it would make sense that Steve's there. And obviously we all know his relationship with pop, but that job, and we'll see where Steve is physically. I think it seems like he's better. He, he, I'm not sure he's ever going to be perfect with his back and there's always going to be some discomfort, but whether he goes forward and it makes sense that he's the next Olympic coach. You know, I think there had been a lot of talk about Brad Stevens who isn't on the staff. And so usually you come up on the staff, you come up into it and you know, they always have a lot of hard decisions to make about who to put on the staff. And I know another coach that they did consider and I think would have had some interest in being a part of it. Um, and again, you just, it's a numbers game. Is Eric Spolstra uh, from Miami who's won two championships? And um, shouldn't he be involved potentially in USA basketball? But I think the next coach and Jay Wright's on that staff. I don't think the league is respected as Jay Wright is. I don't think they're going to go back to a college coach anytime soon. I think they're going to try to keep it in the NBA group. But that'll be interesting how that sets up. Yeah, you know, I actually talked to Pop last week about Nate McMillan being on the staff, and um, he wanted to have an experienced guy on his staff who'd been through this. And he didn't think Nate would say yes, because Nate did it for six years, a um, couple of Olympic cycles and a couple of World Championship cycles. And so he was happy that Nate got it. I don't know if Nate would be a candidate as well, but mm-hmm. Eric Spolstra is, uh, you know, Brad Stevens, it's interesting. Brad Stevens, there's respect level amongst his peers. It continues to be, it continues to be left wanting. And then that's a, a complicated subject. But Eric Spolstra is a guy who has championship rings, um, a very good, uh, uh, very, very well respected within the NBA. And now the second longest tenured coach after Pop. It's um, amazing. So, that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and not going anywhere. So um, Eric Spolstra, to me, would be a very strong name. But you're right, it's kind of hard to ask somebody who doesn't have experience. You know, Pop Pop was a part of the Team USA coaching staff um, in the early 2000s uh, when they struggled a little bit. So he has been there before. But, you know, that'll be interesting to watch in the future. Yeah. So the Minnesota Jimmy Butler situation now, Brian, you know, we, we reported on Thursday that Houston has put well, you reported. <laughs> well, it's we. It's ESPN reported right. four first-round picks in their most recent deal. And, and that's always going to be fluid based on what players are in the deal, too. And that's certainly part of the conversation. You know, Houston, to me, is the one team in this entire process, the only team in this process, who can rightly believe that if we trade for Jimmy Butler – we think he helps us win a championship this year. There's not another team who can say that who's really involved in this. The one team that has been on the periphery and I still think could be heard from again in this is Philadelphia because I think they're a little like Houston right now in that they're looking at themselves and they're evaluating themselves and they're saying, I'm not sure, not only do I, am I not sure that we improved over last year, I'm not sure where the, we'll even be the same team. And I think Philly's a little different because they're they're younger and you're going to still see growth with Simmons and Embiid, but they did lose a couple of role players and that'll impact them. Wilson Chandler should help them when he plays, but I still think Philly may be heard from again in this and Miami 
I don't think they've given up on the idea of Jimmy Butler, but Houston is the one team who says, okay, like we want to win it. This is our window. It's in the next couple of years. And right now we're probably not good enough to do it. I agree. I just spent some time with the Rockets last week in LA and um, they're missing their mojo uh, that they had last year. And, you know, they're really banged up right now. And then now Harden is going to be out for a few games hard to evaluate them as a team but they just they don't seem to have the same edge as they did last year and i will say there's a history of teams offering it seems like four first round picks is the magical number that a team thinks it can offer to get anything um but that seems to fail uh you know his, you know we, we all remember probably four or five years ago the um celtics offering four first round picks to move up to trade justice Winslow. Mm-hmm. And uh, they want they offered it to the to the Hornets who right. um, took uh, Frank Kaminsky, Kaminsky who were determined. Michael yeah. Jordan wanted Frank Kaminsky, and he got him. Yeah, he did. He did. Um, uh, I remember Justice Winslow has extended. I don't think Mr. Kaminsky extended, so I don't know about that one. I, I still think go on a Frank Kaminsky tangent, but I do think I still think Frank's gonna be a good player in the league. I think the system, but it'll be interesting. He's not played much early this year, but we'll get back to Frank probably at a later pod. Yeah. I remember the Hawks when Paul George was quasi available um, the, at the trade deadline the, um, before he demanded his trade, or maybe it was even maybe it was even in the summer. But I thought it was at the trade deadline. The Hawks offered four first round picks mm-hmm. for the when Wes Wilcox was the GM. That's right. That's right. Yep. Um, and now we have you reporting that that, that that the Rockets are offering four. And so the thing about it is is. Um, that in and of itself is like jaw dropping. You hear four first round picks. I always, in my mind, go to like the Herschel Walker trade when I was a kid. I mm-hmm. remember that, you know, or the Ricky Williams trade, where you know teams traded their whole draft or they traded half their you know, all this stuff. And it and it is amazing. And you think about um, what happened when the Nets traded uh, three first round picks to the Celtics and swaps and all that stuff. Um, but this is, you know, these these all of those offers, uh, including this one, you know. There's no assurance that they will be uh, good picks um, because Houston's picks, you would figure, I mean, uh, Houston hasn't picked in the lottery in a long time. Right. And I think you would expect the first, you know, so let's say it was 2019, 2021, that they could still be good. They'd still be good, obviously, in 19, you would hope, this coming year. They would finish high. And, And then 21. But by the time you got out beyond that, again, you have to do it every other year. Chances are team may look very different. You know, Brooklyn's sure. thing too, people forget is they had they had a swap. It felt like they lost their pick every year because they had a pick swap. swaps that yeah. went from that took them out of the top five or six at times and put them in the you know from somewhere between twenty five and thirty. And they had a pick swap with Atlanta from the Joe Johnson trade that I think Danny Ferry put in, right? And so there was a pick swap, I still think from Joe Johnson, there was a pick swap from Boston that made it feel like you lost your pick. You, you weren't drafting up in the lottery. And I think that made the Kevin Garnett-Pierce trade feel worse, or, you know, it impacted it more adversely. And and the other thing, too, those, in fairness, those two players coming from Boston were far more at the end of their career. You you certainly can make the case Jimmy Butler's in his prime, and he's, you know, he's 29, and he has more in front of him than those two players did at the time. You know, and you would hypothetically be adding him to a team that got to Game 7 against Golden State last year. And and the one other thing, too, with giving up if it turned out to be four picks or if it turned out to be three picks, if it happened. You know, you'll make your run with 
Chris Paul, James Harden, Jimmy Butler, and it might be two years, three years, whatever it is. But then you'll have these – if they re-sign Butler, you got them under contract. If they feel like the window's closed and the run's over, you're always in a position where, especially Butler who's younger, where with two years left on his deal or three years left or one year left, you know, you're know, you trading him somewhere and you get one of those picks back or two of the picks back depending on when it is. And that's how Houston always operates is being flexible and, and trying to flip one thing into another. So – even if you did trade the picks, he's young enough that you could get something back for him. That wasn't the case with Brooklyn. They they had no chance to get anything back again with those two players they traded for, or even Joe, Joe Johnson. And not only that, those guys weren't even under contract for very long. It wasn't like you were like, okay, we know we're getting, you know, Pierce walked in a year, and he still had something left. You know, he still had a good year left in him. But, um, you know, the thing about it is, is that just the Wolves, Tom Thibodeau, I mean, if they don't have a good year this year, there's a good chance he's going to lose his job. And so getting getting cap relief or future draft picks has limited value to him because he's the president and the coach. Now, if there was a, a president who was thinking, well, look, I'm I'm going to have this team and control this team into the future, and it may piss off my coach, but I will, I'm will i going to make this deal for future picks or future assets, um, I think they'd have a better, a more, more willing year. And I suppose at the end of the day, if that's what the owner wants, I suppose that's what would happen. But I just don't think... Tom Thibodeau is going to be moved by picks. I think he needs he needs players that he can help him now. And and you know I think whenever he's going to talk to Houston, he's going to want who's going to be my two guard the day after I trade Jimmy Butler. He's not so worried about mm-hmm. who's going to be the draft pick. Uh, what I can do with that twenty twenty three. Yeah, I don't know if Tom Thibodeau cares about four picks in the two thousand nineteen draft. Never mind four over the next seven years. I think he right. no kidding. He, like I said, and, and right. to him. Well, you know, of course they're going to ask for Eric Gordon and PJ Tucker, and I don't think there's any scenario where they get the two of them. I, I, I think that's especially with that combination of picks. It's going to be well if you want the better players, then that changes, and and so that's called a negotiation, and that's what would go on here. But the one other thing too, and we're looking long term, short term, with maybe where like Tibbs' priorities are and Glenn Taylor. But Glenn Taylor, you know, he has talked about selling the team, and he's got a, a minority owner now who. You know, has a you know a fairly significant share, and maybe the opportunity down the road to buy the team. And so, how long is Glenn Taylor going to be invested in the team? And I don't know that that would impact. I think he will be beyond this year. Unlike, like you said, Tibbs's future is unclear. You know, I think he's at a point in his life where you know he's been waiting a long time to have a good team there. They went they went 13 years out of the playoffs before Tibbs and that group got him back in. And I don't think he's looking to make. You know, a really long play here. While Carl Anthony Towns and Wiggins are still very young, I think he wants to be good too. I agree, and I think the fan base's appetite is the same. And then um, I can just tell you from being up there recently, Tibbs is getting booed louder than Jimmy Butler, and Jimmy Butler is so clearly a difference-making player for them. The concept of losing him for guys you don't see their faces is tough. Let me ask you this, Woj: What do you think the appetite? in Houston is for going very deep into the tax because I kind of thought it was limited. Tillman Fertitta, I believe, gave an interview where he basically made it sound like um, he didn't want to ever go into the repeater tax zone. But if you're going to trade four first-round picks for Jimmy Butler, you're obviously doing it with the thought that you're going to resign him Yeah. with, with uh, James Harden and Chris Paul in your books. So to me, the fact that this offer is being made leads me to believe that there is – Maybe, it, I mean, you know, what's your read on that situation? Well, you're right. And their payroll would really be tied up in 
I mean, it would really be tied up in those three. And, and Clint Capella, who signed his extension, you know, at a reasonable right. number, could have been worse if there were teams out there who had the space this summer to throw a big offer sheet at him. That was a really good contract for the team. Yeah, I mean, and, and too, he, he's gotten paid, but really. Yeah, and like it was just dumb luck because if Phoenix doesn't get the number one overall pick and they're not getting DeAndre Ayton, they may put a max offer sheet out. If DeAndre Jordan does become available and Dallas doesn't get a center, maybe they put the sheet out. And all of a sudden, if it wasn't a max sheet, it may have been more than what he got. And all of a sudden, all the the teams who might who had space and might have needed a center, that dried up on him. And then all of a sudden, he had to negotiate it or risk just taking the qualifier this year and going out next year and unrestricted. So anyway, Houston dodged a little bit of a bullet just on circumstances on that. But like you said, Brian, it's still, it would be a tremendous tax burden. They would be limited on what they could add around those three. But, you know, Daryl Morey is always, always, always going to be big game hunting. He can't help himself. He can't stay out of these right. pursuits of great players. He goes after almost every single one. And, and uh, I remember joking with him uh, probably about four years ago, they opened up this new locker room. And um, I was in Houston. He gave me this tour of it. Um, and I still think it's it's way cutting edge, even though all these teams are doing this. And I remember um, above each player's locker is like a little LED screen. Mm-hmm. And it has the player's like name and, you know, face. And then it rattles through. The, the revolutionary thing was it rattled through stats. Um, like they, they sort of, I guess when the locker room is close to the media, like their game plan for the night and some of their statistics that they wanted them to focus on. Um, and I joked with Daryl because that was back when he was like making 11 trades a year to move the ball five yards up the field, you know, <laughs> right. all this arbitrage. And I go, this is going to make it so much easier on your um, manager when, uh, when you, when you make trades, they don't have to, you know, change the nameplate out and stuff. They'll just change the screen. <laughs> um, because he is a guy who, um, has that reputation. And what I think is interesting is, Woj, they could have, I'm not saying that they would have matched Trevor Ariza, a one-year, $15 million deal, but they could have done a deal with Ariza, I think, maybe over two years that would have gotten him into a good place. And they, they didn't get into a bidding war with Luke Mabamute. Um, and I'm not saying that having Mabamute or not is the difference between them winning the championship or not. But when those two guys leave, um, Daryl is then, you know, has to make a couple of other moves. And to me, that they were they were clearly, you know, just tightening the belt a little bit because they had such a big outlay to Chris Paul and such a big outlay to Capella. I got it. It just seems interesting that they're switching gears now and all of a sudden going back after potential big money guys when they let a couple of key pieces of their team go over a few million dollars. Yeah, Vertita will be tested. His willingness to compete, to chase Golden State in the West, and like we've talked about this before, it is really, really, really expensive to try to beat the Warriors. And you've seen Oklahoma City, the way they've had to spend to try to do it, and the way you know Houston's in a position where they're going to have to really spend. And Golden State's going to have to really, really spend to keep their group together. And so uh, th- there's an arms race that's going on that um, – and I think Daryl especially feels like it's built around star players, and he's going to get a third one. And this is interesting. So it was reported last week. Now, I don't know how long this has been in the works. You know, I'm certainly not in the casino uh, insider business. Maybe it's been in the works for months. But uh, Tillman Fertitta has made a bid to merge his 
casino operations. He owns the Golden Nugget properties, um, the Golden Nugget in, in Las Vegas, but some other properties across the country with Caesars uh, Entertainment uh, that owns the biggest casino operator in the country. And from what I understand, while this would give him potentially a um, an oper- uh, a position, uh, some sort of position in the new Caesars, potentially he would squeeze a bunch of money out of it as well. And so maybe that deal, uh, and by the way, just, just, it's just so funny. We, so we focus so much on what happens in the NBA between the owners and stuff. We have no idea that out in the world, these billionaires, you know, there's only so many billionaires. They're all doing business with each other outside. Um, the largest shareholder in Caesars is the company that is Josh Harris's company, the, the owner of the, uh, of the, uh, Philadelphia 76ers. Um, um, so they're, you know, maybe they'll do a trade someday, but they're also doing the potential of this big casino deal. But I don't know whether that deal, which, you know, again, I'm not an expert in this business, but this is a significant situation that's out there. Maybe that deal changes his, um, changes his situation. And maybe that says, Hill, I'm getting a windfall upcoming in the next yeah. couple of years. Maybe my financial position will change. Maybe this means I can go after Jimmy Butler. I'm, I'm making a supposition here. I'm not, I don't know that for a fact, um, but I've but I've noticed that. And just in general, there's a there's a big casino, and this is just interesting because of all this sports betting. But there's a big casino consolidation stuff going on out there, and it involves a bunch of NBA owners. And one of them is Dan Gilbert, the owner of the Cavs, is selling his casinos. There's a possibility that he could liquidate in the hundreds of millions um, with his casinos in the very short term future too. So. These guys out there are are doing multiple layers of business together, but um, it's interesting to just note that if mm-hmm. if if over here on the left hand, Fertitta is making a deal that could really uh, you know get him a bunch of money, and next thing you know, he's not as worried about the luxury tax anymore. I don't know. Today's episode of the Woj Pod is brought to you by Sonos. Meet Sonos Beam, the smart compact soundbar for your TV, and newest addition to the easy to use home sound system. Play everything you love. Enjoy music, radio, movies, TV, podcasts, and more. Sonos supports over 100 streaming services. You can use AirPlay to enjoy sound from your iPhone or iPad on Beam, and Beam fills the room with rich sound. Enjoy deep bass and detailed stereo separation for music plus crystal clear dialogue for TV and movies. Easy to set up. Beam connects your TV with just one cord and syncs with your existing remote. The Sonos app walks you through setup step-by-step. Amazon Alexa is built in. Get hands-free control of your music and more. Start a playlist, skip tracks, and pause simply by asking out loud. Use your voice to turn the TV on or off and adjust the volume. You can also play games, set reminders, and check the news. Sonos speakers over Wi-Fi anytime. Put speakers in different rooms and listen to music in one and a podcast in another. Or send sound from your TV everywhere so you never miss a second, which is exactly what I do. No longer do you have to make a run out of the TV room into the kitchen. The game comes with you. Listen, for me, Beam has changed the way I watch sports in my house. It's transformational. It really is. So don't forget, if you live in any major metropolitan area up and running, we'll have a Sonos expert deliver and set up your system absolutely free. Just order Sonos.com and select Up and Running at checkout if you qualify. Let's talk about buying a home. It can be one of the most important purchases you'll ever make. 
But today's fluctuating interest rates can leave you with unexpected higher payments, which can turn a great experience into an anxious one. That's why Quicken Loans created their exclusive power buying process. And here's how it works. They check your income, assets, and credit to give you a verified approval. This gives you the strength of a cash buyer, making your offer more attractive to sellers. Once verified, you qualify for their exclusive rate shield approval. They'll lock your interest rate for up to 90 days while you shop for your new home. Then, once you've found the one, if rates have gone up, your rate stays the same. But if rates have gone down, you get to keep that new lower rate. Either way, you win. It's the kind of thinking you'd expect from America's largest mortgage lender. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com slash woge. Rate shield approval only valid on certain 30-year purchase transactions. Additional conditions or exclusions may apply based on Quicken Loans data in comparison to public data records. Equal housing lender licensed in all 50 states. NMLSConsumerAccess.org, number 3030. Speaking of changing your look on things, what you've seen from Kawhi Leonard and maybe a little bit of a revitalized Serge Ibaka in Toronto, and has your view of the Eastern Conference changed at all from, from opening night? I went to see the Raptors in this, the preseason. They played this game in New Orleans that nobody saw, and I know nobody saw it because it was not on TV. Neither side mm-hmm. televised it. Um, the Raptors even sat a bunch of players, including Kawhi. Um, the Pelicans played their whole team that night. Anthony Davis uh, had like 38-17, and 17, um, and the Raptors beat him anyway. And I'm not saying that I'm overreacting to a preseason game, but I watched the Raptors that night, and I was like, my God, is this team good. Yep. And, uh, you know, their general manager, Bobby Webster, uh, was there, and I went up to Bobby, and I was just like, Bobby, this team is freaking loaded. And he's, you know, you know, you know Bobby, he's you know, demure and deferring, mm-hmm. you know, well, you know, we'll see, we got to get lucky. And I, um, I, and I said to him, I don't mind saying this, I said to him, I go, Bobby, no matter what happens with Kawhi, you guys should sleep well, you're going to be just fine. Yeah, because yeah. Uh, that that team is is Masai Ujiri, and I mean they never announced it. You know, for all the things that Masai has said at press conferences, um, they never really said that. Look, we're going to build the modern standard for the modern NBA team. The Raptors are the standard for the modern NBA team. They have they are twelve deep or thirteen deep. Just about, I would say, out of their 15 guys, 13 of them can play multiple positions. The only ones who can't really are Jonas Valanciunas and um, Greg Monroe. Mm-hmm. And Monroe doesn't even play. Um, all of those guys can play two or three positions. They have a number of ball handlers. Um, they have a, a, a fierce leader in Kyle Lowry who plays both ends of the court, um, who they don't have to play huge minutes because they are deep at that position. Mm-hmm. They're, they have tremendous youth, and I love Pascal Siakam. I know that yep. Zach Lowe is on that train, too. The fact that they were able to do the Kawhi deal and retain Siakam, yeah. and I know that the Spurs had their reasons for taking uh, Jakob Pertl, and you know, for all I know, Jakob Pertl will be an all-star in two years, but Siakam is so much more the modern player. He reminds me of Draymond Green, some of the way he plays, because he can defend the four and five rebound and then push it. Um, 
And let's just be honest, amongst the the, the Celtics and the, the 76ers and, and the Raptors, the Raptors, in my opinion, have the, the best player amongst those three teams. They have Kawhi. And we know that in um, a playoff setting, the team that has the best player has an advantage that sometimes can't be overcome. Yeah, and a player who's done it. I mean, he's done it before. He's done it a lot. And I think there will be in these big moments for Toronto, there will be a feeling that permeates them that they're going to look to him and know he's done it. And he's done it often, and we're watching him do it all season, and he's going to do it for us in the playoffs in the biggest moments. And I think that you know, I think that takes a tremendous burden off of Kyle Lowry. It takes a big burden off of Abaka. And the one guy, you, you know, you did mention uh, OG Ananobi, who, you know, comes out of Indiana and, you know, has an ACL injury early in his sophomore year at IU. And Masai had his eye on him the whole time and he didn't really work out for teams. He was still rehabbing the injury. And, you know, he gets a player in the early 20s that would not have been there if he didn't get injured. A little bit like Karis Levert in Brooklyn who you're seeing his mm-hmm. emergence this year, another player who, if he doesn't get injured in the year he comes out and he's playing, he, he goes much higher. You know, the Nets were able to get him, uh, I think they traded to 20. I think it was a pick they traded with uh, Indiana. Anyway, and so, you know, OG was another player I think the Spurs would have loved to have gotten their hands on and, and was not ever included in those those conversations. And listen, Boston's going to be great. They're going to figure it out. They played better uh, late against Oklahoma City. And, you know, I think for them, you know, there's roles that have to be defined and there are, you know, clearly physically Gordon Hayward's going to, you know, it's going to take him a while to be himself again. But, um, man, the top of the East is going to be, I mean, if, if that's your conference final, I mean, that's, that's a war. I mean, that's really, and, and, and I don't mean to, and the two other teams, I just, I'm not going to discount because of their star power, Philadelphia and Milwaukee. And if I'm Philadelphia, I'm, I'm, Am I a little worried about Milwaukee overtaking me? Am I am I looking at like they might win more regular season games and but Milwaukee is going to be Boy, so Boy, the scouts are really impressed with Milwaukee. And and that's where a coach and when you talk about the impact a coach can make. Listen, you saw Mike Budenholzer win 60 games with a team in Atlanta that when you, especially when you look back on it now, wow. And I, I asked I had Bud on the podcast this summer and we were talking about that and I just think I asked him just that. Your the appreciation you have when you really look back at that group that Danny Ferry helped put together with him. Danny Ferry did put together and Wes Wilcox and him. And uh, for that team to have won 60 games and, uh, you know, then they were really beaten up. By the time they got to Cleveland, the playoffs, they were a shell of themselves. I don't think they would have beaten them anyway, but they had had so many injuries. And and I think Milwaukee with Giannis as the centerpiece is a team that has a chance to be, you know, I think better than the sum of their parts. The one thing that I keep hearing from Milwaukee there is, Eric Bledsoe, that Bud really has sold him on being a really good two-way player that he can use his body defense, can use his physicality on the defensive end, and he's gotten a really good buy-in from Bledsoe on the defensive end, and and Giannis is playing out of this world. Yeah, the coach of Milwaukee actually thinks Giannis has more, that he's not even you know, hitting his stride yet. Zach and I were, I guess, debating this a little bit on the jump last week. We're talking about Giannis and Kawhi Leonard and who's the best player in the East, and like, there's no wrong answer. I, I guess Kawhi, we've seen Kawhi do it deep into the playoffs and you give him a little, but you know it's coming with Giannis and he's just physically, there's nobody like him in a lot of ways. And he has a work ethic and a desire and an obsession with being great. I mean, Giannis is hell bent 
on being a great player, and and I think it it rubs off on on everybody around him there now. And I want to go back to Philadelphia, but I I want to just compliment the Bucks organization for a moment. Um, John Horst, our general manager, being able to get Mike Budenholzer to take that job because. It was a very highly desirable job. A lot of people wanted that job because of Giannis. However, there was an uncertainty amongst their ownership um, because they've the one one owner is going to take over control of the franchise next year from the other owner. They've got this five years on, mm-hmm. five years off thing, and that has played into an issue when they got the GM. And that just that spooks coaches a little bit that the guy who's hiring me may not be deciding my fate in a year. Um, and then you have the, the clock that's going to start. I know Giannis's contract is just starting, but, you know, you're going to feel pressure to, to really get that team in place. And, um, you know, there were other te- I know Toronto was interested in, but if I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. Roach, mm-hmm. Um, uh, to be able to, and, 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 you know, maybe it was the ownership too. And I mean, the ownership had to get on the same page and, and, but to be able to make that hire, was a huge important moment for them because of what I just talked about, because of the ownership situation and because of, you know, the clock potentially coming on Giannis, the person that they hired to coach that team was a vital moment for that franchise. And I don't know if it'll work out long-term. I can't see the future, but they got an established guy who they know is a good coach. And we're already seeing uh, the fruits of that. But one thing more about Philly Woj, you made a great point. Philly is going to be – they have cap space next summer. But they're going to have to compete with the Lakers and the Clippers and the Knicks and, you know, whoever else. They may see going after Jimmy Butler as their move. Yes. And they may see having to go after him sooner than waiting until the summer. Yeah, I think they're going to be heard from again. I mean, they had been in touch with Minnesota, and I think that conversation – Whenever the Butler thing really gets going again here, um, I think they're going to be heard. I'm, I'm confident Philly's going to be heard from again. It's a matter of – listen, anybody would want Jimmy Butler. It gets down to what are you willing to give up for him. There's nobody who's not interested in Jimmy Butler who's a good team, but it gets to what are you willing to give up for him. And it's great to have that max scholarship available this past summer, next summer. You've got to look and be realistic and honest with yourself about – how attractive it is, who can we get, who can we legitimately get? And, you know, the answer might be nobody that's worth a max or nobody that's that big of a difference maker. And we need to go out and, like, are we going to go out and make a trade and get that guy now? I mean, even like a player like Chris Middleton who will be available in the summer if he does. Now, I'm pretty confident that Milwaukee is going to do everything they can to re-sign him. And I, mm-hmm. and I don't know that Chris Middleton's got any intention of, not re-upping there. I think he's liked it there. I think he's had a lot of success and he's vital. I mean, how they couldn't replace Chris Middleton with the Bucks. He's a you're really right. important player on a right. team that they hope's a contender. But if you're Philly, you're going, well, whoever it is, because you're not getting, I don't think you're getting Kevin Durant or Clay Thompson or Kawhi Leonard. I mean, those are, there's no reason for you to think you're a front runner for any of those guys. And so you take an honest long look at it and you go, if there's a way for us to get Butler, you know, I, I think they've got to, and they haven't gained any. They didn't gain any ground this offseason. I think the feeling is, and it's early, that maybe they lost a little bit with Toronto and Boston. That you know they miss Ilasova and they miss Bellinelli. Uh, those team, those players help them. And you know 
they're still trying to figure out who Markel Fultz is and what he what he can be for them. Yeah, and they are, they have the type of assets that potentially could get Thibs interested because um, they have young guys who are prospects, but also guys who can help you right now. And they have some ballast. You know, they have like Jared Bayless's contract that can be used with a young guy um, that can balance it out. They have all the ingredients necessary um, uh, to make a big deal. It's just a matter of picking the big deal they want to make. And um, But that's an interesting team to watch for sure. I think that's very, uh, very wise uh, analysis by you. Today's episode of the Woj Pod is brought to you by Sonos. Meet Sonos Beam, the smart, compact soundbar for your TV and newest addition to the easy-to-use home sound system. Play everything you love. Enjoy music, radio, movies, TV, podcasts, and more. Sonos supports over 100 streaming services. You can use AirPlay to enjoy sound from your iPhone or iPad on Beam, and Beam fills the room with rich sound. Enjoy deep bass and detailed stereo separation for music plus crystal-clear dialogue For TV and movies. Easy to set up. Beam connects your TV with just one cord and syncs with your existing remote. The Sonos app walks you through setup step-by-step. Amazon Alexa is built in. Get hands-free control of your music and more. Start a playlist, skip tracks, and pause simply by asking out loud. Use your voice to turn the TV on or off and adjust the volume. You can also play games, set reminders, and check the news. Sonos speakers over Wi-Fi anytime. Put speakers in different rooms and listen to music in one and a podcast in another or send sound from your TV everywhere so you never miss a second, which is exactly what I do. No longer do you have to make a run out of the TV room into the kitchen. The game comes with you. Listen, for me, Beam has changed the way I watch sports in my house. It's transformational. It really is. So don't forget, if you live in any major metropolitan area up and running, we'll have a Sonos expert deliver and set up your system absolutely free. Just order Sonos.com and select up and running at checkout if you qualify. The Lakers, I don't know what I think of this team and what it can be. Like, I know everyone had a lot of fun watching their win over the Nuggets and Lance was flying around and <laughs> and that's great. Like, yeah. there's nothing more entertaining than Lance in that mode. But we both know Lance not going to play like that every night. There'll be nights Lance gonna get, is going to give a game away, and he's going to defensively right. he's going to lose track of an assignment. But he was great, and JaVale McGee, and you and I talked about this last week, like McGee's playing like a role, and, and we'll see if he can sustain that. And I think, too, LeBron, and, and he was brilliant. I mean, even when he's not at his best, he's still better than almost everybody else. I think you can still see him working his way into condition. I think, you know, he didn't play a lot in the preseason, and you know, like yeah. no one works harder. He works at it every day. But I think you can still see his body. You've seen it more than anybody, Brian, right? You're going to see his body sort of ease into the season a little bit, right? And I think you've seen that with his play. Like he's just – his conditioning, you know, in, in a couple weeks, or he'll just be normal like what you're always seeing LeBron. But my sense around them has been that they've kind of seen him working his way into, you know, peak condition. Yeah, he just – after all those minutes, he just – he doesn't do a heck of a lot of running in the summer. He does shooting and stuff like that, but he just got to save his legs a little bit. So he doesn't go, he doesn't really start going up and down until September. And the last few years when he's known he's on the best team in the East, he's gotten used to sort of, sort of revving the engine a little bit in, in November and December and then building it up. And then, you know, he's 
goes into the playoff you know, like a like a takeoff role, like a you know, takeoff role on a plane. Um uh it's actually one of the reasons why I think he's not been in the M V P uh spot at the last few years because his early season performance has sort of been a little uneven. But when I look at the Lakers, um I think there's two things to realize. Number one, a bunch of these guys do not have a future with the team. Um so Lance can do whatever he wants. I'd mm-hmm. be stunned if Lance is there in a year. That's right. Um uh, and so that's the thing. So to me, if you're if you're a Laker fan, you're really watching, like how's Lonzo Ball playing? And he's shown some yep. nice flashes. In fact, Josh Hart and Kuzma, that group you should feel pretty good yeah. about. They've been, and, yeah. and I was talking really more just this year because I do think long term with that group. Right. And the Lonzo Ball thing, though, Brian is, you know, all of a sudden he's got to be able to make that spot up three. He has to be able. To, he's going the ball's not going to be in his hands the way it was last year and going forward. It's not, he's going to have to play off the ball some more this year and be able to make shots. And there's no reason he can't become a good shooter. We've seen a lot of young guys. If you're willing to put the work in, you know, you're going to improve as a shooter. And I know there's been some people really down about his fit with them, but I'm like, that that guy can play. He passes. He's a brilliant passer. You saw him against Denver picking up full court with, you know, steel. He's very instinctively. He just has a nose for it. And, like guys like that to me figure it out and they find a way to be on the court and especially in the way the league's changing. LeBron really likes him. He likes his mentality. He likes his makeup. Um, but you know, Josh Hart is an interesting player, Woj, because if you go look at the history of LeBron, when he has been at his best, he has been alongside a two guard who can shoot and can handle, but doesn't have to have the ball. So I'm talking Mo Williams, which I know nobody would write home about, but Mo Williams, played alongside LeBron in two 60-win seasons. He was an okay? all-star. Yes. Mario Chalmers, say whatever you want about Mario. Mario defended. He could play with or without the ball, and he could spot up shoot. They won two titles together. Obviously, Kyrie Irving. Um, and I'm not saying Josh Hart is Kyrie Irving, but if you look at the skill set, okay, he's not an, uh, an ISO player like Kyrie is, but you know, but the ability to, to shoot and to, to have the ball and not. Josh Hart is the prototypical guard to play alongside LeBron. Um, I definitely see a match there uh, going forward. But to me, you're right. When you talked about Lance um, and JaVale, there's going to be nights this year, and last night was a really fun game. Uh, it was really fun to see him come back at the end. I'm sure the Nuggets are a little depressed that they let that game get away from them. But um, there are going to be nights when the Lakers are really fun to watch. Uh, you know, They get up and down the court, uh, especially nights when – when Lance and other guys are hitting threes, there's going to be some nights when fans come out of the Staples Center and are like, wow, this was wonderful. There's going 